1: well welcome everybody Uh, this is the international student breakout or how to start an international ministry Um, today the principles that we're going to be looking at from scripture can really be applied to any new work that you're trusting the lord to start Um, we're going to split it out over these three days with the front end being more philosophical what does the bible actually say about starting a ministry what's a good template that we can trust the lord to follow And then we'll have some testimonies each day and as we go on in days two and three it'll be more practical, what does it actually look like you know what are some tips on ministering to international students things like that. Um, So, as we begin the question, you know, is obviously why I think that's a, a big one and and at the beginning, you know. I think most of the people in this room are probably familiar with the Great Commission Matthew 28 18 to 20 go ye therefore and teach all nations well if you backtrack 70 years, you would have had to actually go to teach all nations. But the reality is today, there's nearly a million international students that come to the United States every year. So for us, you know, we have to go, I was just talking to some of the people in the audience, like we have to go down the street, or they might have to go a 30 minute car ride. But there are international students and international refugees all throughout the United States. And so we have this great opportunity, this open door right now, To be able to reach people with the gospel from every corner of the globe and then to invest in them what's been invested in us and send them out to do the same and we know that you know this might not last forever like the reality is if you look throughout scripture open doors are never eternal god opens doors for a season and then closes them and so with the way things are shifting in the world the united states is the view of the us politically and otherwise is shifting Um, The lockdowns in China like they're they're just major changes, and so we we don't know that we will always have this opportunity, but at least right now we definitely do. And so when you look, if you want to go and change slides here. When you look, once it started being tracked in the United States from 48, 49 onward, there have been more and more and more international students. The only exception to this the lull that you'll see is Covid when it was impossible to enter the country. Because we literally wouldn't allow flights in. But outside of that, even after COVID, it's been growing again. And so we expect that this to continue for a season. We just don't know how long. And if you look, this next picture will show where the international students are from. So over 50% of international students that come to the US are from India and China combined. China is a third of all international students. And so, I, Oh, I throw out the statistic because I want you to just pause on this for a second and think about when you stand before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ, what do you think the demographic will look like? So just look back, think back the last hundred years, how many Chinese, how many Indians will there be at the judgment seat of Christ? How many people have truly been saved? These are majorly unreached countries, like massively. And yet half of the international students coming to the united states come from one of these two countries like this is this is a key opportunity a key time that we have and and maybe you're not sure near you um where are internationals or what are they studying and so if you go to the next slide the breakout over half of international students are focused on stem so engineering is huge math computer science is a major one business is like the catch all for international students that want to come here but don't know what they really want to focus on they'll just focus in business, so if you find. um, If you find a school that offers these chances are you're going to find international students if they're even known for it, and it doesn't have to be big towns like we went to a tiny town in Wyoming with like 20,000 people there. And they had a large international student community because the school that they have is known for agricultural engineering, which happens to be kind of important in lands where you have a lot of people and a little bit of land. How do you make the most of it, and so again, a lot of Indian students, a lot of Chinese students, because they have a need. And so it it doesn't take a large city for there to be internationals and it's not just students, we have refugees from all over the world that are coming huge pockets that you might not even know about there are great opportunities in Kansas City where you can go to entire neighborhoods and like a whole complex will be full of Syrian refugees, or you go to the north and it's like they're all from one specific part of Africa, or you know just you never know there's giant Latin communities, uh, some of my closest friends came here as illegal immigrants that had fled persecution in their home countries or poverty or were just they were trying to to get an American education or something. And they can blend in with society, but these are people that that largely are unreached, and we have a great opportunity while they're here. So I'm a part of, or I'm not anymore, it's hard to say that, I was a part of our international ministry, which is called Friends of Internationals. Uh, we transitioned out because we're trusting the Lord to plant a church in Vietnam in the next three to six months, but that's where I've been for the last seven years. Um, so if you go to the next slide, the vision... foi is pretty simple and because we have to leave this public foi as a public group and so we leave this public so our vision is love grow and send you know it starts off with love you know the bible tells us that we love god because he first loved us he sent his son to die for us while we were sinners he's the one that reached out and so we want to do the same thing we want to reach out and have a genuine love a genuine friendship to build that relationship um you know people can people can tell if they're just a target. And so we we want to truly envision our people to love on others because when they come a lot of times people's testimony when they've been around our group is that man, you guys are so friendly or you love on people in a way that I've never seen. It's just man, love shines through. And so we want to do that. We want to love on people. You win people's hearts when you genuinely love on them. And the next part is grow. So obviously, when when somebody's spending time around you they'll ask what you care about you know when you invite them on friday night to go to a praise and worship night or to come over to your house for dinner or you know to join with you on tuesday or whatever it looks like as they learn about your life they're going to hear about christ and we're trusting the lord to use these these relationships as open doors for the gospel and so then the growth section of this is obviously us sharing the word we're trusting god that international students will get saved that they'll get discipled that they'll get built up in their faith so that the last part is we can send them out back to their home countries to be missionaries to wherever it is that they are from to their local people group because there are many places in the world that we cannot go you know like Siming can go to china and speak chinese and immediately reach her own people or i could go and spend 4 years learning chinese to reach her people so i would much rather invest in 10 simmings or 10 Mankits or 10 jameses that all speak another language maybe not james but that you know ten people that all speak another language, if you have that same four years, you could invest it in ten people, invest the word in ten people and get them to a point where they can go back and be missionaries. So it's super strategic. um but then we're also trusting the Lord to go with them. as much as we have capacity, we want to not just send them alone, Jesus sent out his people two by two. and there's a reason for that. You know the Bible talks a lot about not going out alone, and so we want to trust the Lord to grow up teams to go with them. The first example of that, is going to be uh in vietnam so mm, okay this picture in the top left gets my heart every time because what you see in the top left picture is a church service that we're having in vietnam um, with a team there and so you can see the guy in the very back left and the girl in the back left the girl came to the united states got saved got discipled started Going, I think she went through part of D2 while she was here and then had to go back to Vietnam. Uh, the guy in the back left, we led to Christ while we were in Vietnam on a short-term missions trip. Both have been discipled and have grown. Both have led other people to Christ. So you see the next generation of disciples there. But then also in this bottom right-hand picture, you see the people that they are discipling have then invited others and have led others to Christ. So now you see three generations of disciples just in this in these two photos alone. And it's so sweet. To see them praise and worship in their own language and their own heart tongue like these are people that were translated and now they're praising god in their own tongue and it's just like ah it is the coolest thing ever i am i'm really excited to go and i'm like struggling to be patient but this just gets my heart um and there are many more examples of this you know we have kin we have jeanette who's in nairobi we have people like miyoko who's in japan we have people um In Hong Kong, uh, like Natalie Shum, we have people in China and Brazil and just all over as as people go back, there are more and more opportunities and we're trusting the Lord that all of them would be fruitful and they'd all become church plants. But it just it takes time, you know, Sam, I don't remember who was speaking last night, if it was Sam or Mike, but someone was talking about wanting to have good birthing hips. And we want to be a church planting church and and the reality is making a baby takes time, like sending sending out church plants takes time but this is the vision. So the question is how do we get there, uh, and before we tackle that biblically i'd like to to offer a couple of people to come up and share a testimony one international student who has gotten saved and gotten trained up and and is trusting the Lord to go be a part of a church plant, and then a gringo who is trusting God to reach international students and so uh, Simon do you want to go first. Okay, so
0: um, my name is Simming um my name is like pronounced swimming with a w swimming swimming um I'm from China um so I'm going to share my testimony about how I got saved and how I came here um that was like 11 years ago back to 2012 I came here to study but half years before I came to America my mom passed away because of cancer so I grew up in a family that worship Buddha so we were like Buddhism family didn't hear the word of God, didn't know Jesus. Like we know his name, but we don't know who he is. That's how I grew up. And then after my mom passed, and then I came to United States, I was very depressed, lonely, um, didn't have a lot of friends. And then I met um, FOI leader, the purist leader, Andrew Ong, past Andrew Ong. So we met at a restaurant, and then he gave me the church address, and that's how I came to church. And then I was like looking for answer, looking for friendship, seeking for help, because there was a lot of things happening at that time when I was first came to this country, didn't speak well English, didn't know anyone, didn't know how to live my life, just you know surviving a foreign country. And then so I was desperate for love, for friendship. And then so I came to church and then um, I was not able to understand what the sermon because it's very hard for me to understand but I love the songs, the worship song. It just draw my tears every single time when I came. And then I was able to join the Bible study, which helps me a lot because I was able to ask questions and prepare my reading of my Bible in Chinese before I joined the Bible study. So slowly I understood the salvation and I understood what Jesus Christ meant to die on a cause for me, but however, I told the people that who shared the gospel to me, I told them, no, thank you. I say, the gift of God is so precious. I'm not ready to receive it because due to my mom's past, I had a lot of guilt. Like I was not a good daughter. I didn't treat her the way that's supposed to treat her. And I was very guilty for her past. And then so I told them, I told my friends at church, I say the gift of God is so amazing, but I'm not ready to do it. I'm not ready to receive it because I know that what I did and I deserve the punishment. And I don't understand why the Son of God was willing to come to this earth because the sacrifice for me, for my sin, for the things that I have done. And then I told them, no, this is a very typical of Chinese culture. We don't accept gift easily, and we will be more responsible for what we have done. And then fast forward a couple months later. And then i was sitting on my desk reading my bible and all of a sudden i remember how much my mom loved me that she worked very hard to provide everything for me and she helped me gone through a lot of things and then in my life and then she always loving me and then all of a sudden i remember that her love that was beyond conditions and i remember if she ever see me in like going on a way to hell she will try everything to stop me from going there and then all of a sudden I connect to the love of Christ so I just recognize the love of Christ is not because what I did it's not because what I have done it's not because of how wicked I am it's because of love that is unconditional and it's also sacrificial and that's how I remember wow the love of Christ is so amazing and that's how I came to Christ that's how I, I accept him as my law and Savior. And that's how I come to the conclusion is even sometimes I still cannot forgive myself. But I know that I am forgiven because God is greater than I am. So I'm living a life that is free. And that's how I came to Christ. Um, so the reason I wanted to tell you this story, I hope you can take two things away from, the, from this story. Is first do not be afraid to pass out the church location gospel tracker any information, because you don't know how God is going to use that information to change the person's life. Secondly, do not be intimidated for the person that who's sitting next to you, regardless, they may be come from different culture, different background, different language, different looking, or however, we feel intimidated by the stranger that who doesn't look like the same as we are, but God has a heart for them, and God is capable and able to change their life, and that's how I came to Christ, and my brother is also here. Um, Fast forward, it has been like 11 years, and now we are trusting God to send us to Vietnam to plant a church over there, so
2: I'll make it very quick. and so I'm James McKelvey I'm uh, the FY leader in living Faith Tampa, but I uh I was part of FY in Kansas City for many years. It's so good to see many faces and and one of the things that uh you know, through what God shared with me uh what God burned in my heart for international students is just um it's no different what Mike when I was preaching earlier uh, this morning having God's heart <laughs> like God's heart is for, people uh regardless of international students and just people in general and i run into a passage in uh, a while back it's in uh, leviticus 1934 it says but the stranger that dwelleth with you shall be unto you as one born among you and thou shalt love him as thyself for you were strangers in the land of egypt i am the lord your god and so just taking that verse uh and just knowing the bigger picture you know uh you know as a believer jesus christ uh, we're supposed to be a light unto all people. Uh, and like, uh, uh, Taylor was sharing that, you know, the great commission, Matthew 28, uh, you know, nineteen twenty is a like, go ye therefore to all nations and the nations is coming to United States. Uh, and the statistics is going to be probably changing with different people who have been, it's an open door, uh, opportunity to capitalize, uh, and, uh, recognizing uh, that a lot of students are coming to a trap you know the american trap and they have this picture of american success and whereas you know success you know you know biblically in, in joshua is talking about you know being you know uh, obedient to god and his word um, and and a lot of that was built on those principles you know in america and uh, that's what defines great success you know is that being faithful to the lord uh and the blessings that come behind it and so uh, how could i you know personally uh be a person that stops a stranger uh you know and be able to tell them it's like no the success is a trap and, and it is jesus christ that is going to give you true success and how to, how to do that and and uh you see so many students uh uh throughout the years uh their their hearts are soft uh They're broken from what, uh, you know, the same problems that we have in the United States, Uh, you know, whether it's, you know, similar sharing, you know, uh, a family member passing away, a lot of heartaches uh, from, you know, wherever. Um, And and if you look at a bigger picture, uh, that they are, uh, you know, what God considers poor, you know, in, in spirit. And so how can... You know, what we've been blessed with, you know, in our nation or, or just in our churches, the word of God, be able to hold that as a standard of, of success. And it's like, man, you get true success out of this. It's not through education. I know there's times that I've witnessed to or, you know, minister to people with PhD students and they don't get it. They don't get the Bible and, uh, and they're on this trap, you know, thinking. Uh, and so that's where it comes with prayer. Uh, uh, making those personal touches, and it's no different uh, to go evangelistic to a student or anyone in Kansas City or Tampa. Is that you have to be intentional to people? Uh, that it's like, hey, I care about you because Jesus cares about me, and I want to share that to you. And it takes time to build relationships, and it doesn't happen overnight. And there's a big principle that is always you know, tied at a living faith fellowship. is uh ministry runs on their rails and relationships like uh you have and in the international ministry you have to kind of be a chameleon a little bit so that's why I'm not you know a big college football uh watcher anymore I watch soccer <laughs> because a lot of international students uh, uh watch soccer so it's a small a life change in some areas of you know uh, having this ideology that you know American knows it all uh they know football they don't <laughs> uh, it, football is more popular around the world as soccer. And so, uh, uh, the idea of, you know, having God's heart and, and be able to instill that to, uh, a people group. And then like Taylor sharing that could, uh, uh, take, uh, uh, the gospel of being disciple equipped and go to their home countries and share that to their families and everyone else. And, and then, uh, Possibly see birth, uh, a, uh, a church plant, which we're seeing for Louisiana, Vietnam. Because a lot of students are from Vietnam, got saved through FY Ministry, and we're going back to be part of that field and, and help cultivate and grow that. And so, uh, very uh, rewarding ministry. Uh, uh, you know, I, I love it. It's it's something to be worthy to be engaged constantly because uh, it's God's heart. You know, it drives you. Uh, it, it helps you to man. Uh, you know, if you don't have God's heart, you know, what are you doing? Yeah. And so uh, that's one good testimony of just being part of international student ministry and reaching international students around you. and uh, You guys do the same. So.
1: Okay, so both James and Simming touched on um, there being a heart component, but then also there being a component of, hey, you have to actually talk to somebody, right? You have to begin that conversation and not not to be afraid and that's one of the biggest things that I think we see when um, when you see someone who's different or uh, you know you can get intimidated just when you look at someone maybe they're very successful, or maybe they're homeless and. Look like they haven't showered in a week, or maybe they look like they don't speak your language at all, there are different reasons to be intimidated, but the reality is we still are responsible for opening our mouths and so one of the things that I hope to cover today is how do we get past that fear and and actually trust the Lord to be bold. Um, So with that we're going to be looking at the book of Nehemiah today. Hey all right awesome. Um, So I will have at least the core text up on the screen, so you don't have to flip too much um but that's what we're going to be doing and before we do i'm going to pray and then we'll dive in so lord uh, yeah just like nehemiah um god we need you in everything that we do and so please would you set me aside and and speak through uh speak through me speak through your word today would you help us all to hear what it is that you have for us and and to get ready to trust you to move forward in faith and whatever that next step is i thank you and ask it in jesus name amen so i was looking at you know our backdrop and nehemiah is about rebuilding the city walls and kind of looks like that's what they're doing right now it's in a state of construction it's kind of a cool fitting backdrop um, but what we're going to be looking at if you're not familiar with the book of nehemiah i'll just give you a little bit of a background context so the reason that we're looking at nehemiah as a book for starting a ministry is because it very clearly shows that it's not about our best it's not about what we can do it's truly the Lord's strength that builds um, and that it, man it's just one of the best books that's pictured for it so Nehemiah was written by Nehemiah. Um, it covers the events that took place from 444 to 430 ish BC and our story is going to begin in the month of Chislu, which is it starts the first new moon in December. So basically it's winter time. It's December when we're beginning. And it's the story starts in the capital, uh, Shushan, the palace. So in, in the Persian kingdom, depending on the season, they would rule from different places. So he's in the winter capital. Um, and the author, Nehemiah, is a Jewish man. And at this time, he's in exile um, because God very clearly told his people that if you continue in sin, I'm going to scatter you. And if you repent, I will bring you back. And so this is a season where, um, you know, we're following up on the book of Ezra and that book of Ezra covers the first two returns of the Jewish people and Nehemiah covers the third. So Nehemiah was focused on uh, rebuilding the the city walls, the city gates. Um, that's that's essentially the beginning of the book of Nehemiah. But there's a few things that I want you to. Uh, to consider as we dive into this story because there's a lot of spiritual pictures in nehemiah and there's way too much content to cover in the time that we have even going through just a chapter and a half there's there's no way we can cover everything but what I want you to see is that nehemiah as much as he is lifted up and as awesome of an example as he is is just a regular man so I don't mean that to belittle him um, but I want you to think about the fact that Nehemiah was not a priest like Ezra. He was not a prophet like Malachi. He was a full time employee working in a secular job. Now, granted, he was in a high positioned secular job, he was the cupbearer to the king. But this is, he was not in a position of ministry leadership. This is just a normal man that had a servant's heart for the Lord. And God used him mightily. And this is encouraging to me because I am just a normal guy. And I want to serve the Lord. And so with that, I can see that God can use anyone in any position, even if it means working a full-time job. Like God can use you where you are. And that's super encouraging for me. Um, So before we even get into the text, the cool thing about the Bible is that, man, it's just infinite. You can learn so much. So Nehemiah's father, Hakaliah, His name means whom Jehovah enlightens or in other renderings it's uh, who waits on Jehovah depending on i'm not a Hebrew or Greek expert so i'll just leave that but. Whom Jehovah enlightens, and Nehemiah means Jehovah comforts, and so before we even dive into the text, you can see that a man that is enlightened or a man that waits on the Lord, one who listens to the Lord, can raise children who are comforted by and put their faith in God, and that might not mean much to you guys, but as a parent, like that means the world to me. That's what I'm trusting the Lord for, is is for my son, and hopefully, if we have more for our children to put their faith in the Lord, to be comforted by God, and to move forward in faith and so uh, man there's so many of the words that you can do word studies on that just preach whole other messages but we're going to focus on on the base content so we're going to pick it up in nehemiah chapter one nehemiah chapter one verse one says the words of nehemiah the son of hakaliah and it came to pass in the month chislu which i'm probably butchering the pronunciation but in the month chislu in the 20th year as i was in shushan the palace that hanani One of my brethren came he and certain men of Judah and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped which were left of the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down and the gates thereof are burned with fire and it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days so nehemiah you know many people will ask hey how's it going how are things with your family how's ministry it's like our surface level greeting how are blah or how is blah that's that's the way we communicate with one another if it's just a passing but most of the time if you care at a surface level that's all you're going to care when you ask this question but nehemiah was not like that he genuinely wanted to know what is the state of God's people? What is the state of God's city? What is the condition? And his response when he hears about their condition is that he heard the words, he sat down and wept and mourned for days. Nehemiah was broken before the Lord over the condition of his people and his city. Are you? Is that the state of your heart? Is your heart in line with God's? Now i'm I'm not pretending to be like nehemiah this is one of the most convicting out of everything I studied this is one of the most convicting points for me is how broken and burdened nehemiah was because when someone when I see someone hurting or when I hear of because that's really what happened when I hear of someone in a place of hurt. My heart doesn't always break like nehemiah's in fact it rarely does. And God has just convicted me so strongly of a callous heart. And this is what I've been praying through. Um, But I want you to ask, is your heart in line with the Lord's? So when you inquire, how are you doing? How is your family? How is the ministry? Are you praying and weeping when you hear that the answer isn't good? You know, Psalm 126 verse 5 is such an encouraging verse for me because it says, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. And we've seen that. Man, there have been so many people that I have just sobbed ugly cries before the Lord for and got to see them come to Christ. Uh, You know, in in Romans chapter 5, God tells us that he commended his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, Jesus in John chapter 4 said he must needs go through Samaria. The Samaritan woman, the famous story of a single person, Jesus went out of his way to go and it's it's because they have the right heart. Like these are people that were broken for the lost. Um, if I could be so bold, Christianity, I believe,'s biggest problem. Uh, my pastor was right. I think Christianity's biggest problem today is indifference. It's apathy. Like we know the truth. We know what God's word says. We're just not broken by it. We're not burdened by it. You know, when I showed that picture of of 50% plus come from China and India, but then when I think about what the judgment seat of Christ looks like, I don't think of 50% being China and India, and that should tear me up. Vietnam, we're trusting the Lord to go plant a church, and we're trusting the Lord to plant church, planting churches. Go and make disciples that will make disciples that will make disciples. We're trusting the Lord to reach East Asia with the gospel starting in Ho Chi Minh City. But Vietnam, in and of itself, is a country of nearly 100 million people. And out of that, the most recent census is three or four years old. It thinks that somewhere between one and two percent are Christian, the high figure being 2.2. But in that two percent, they're counting Catholics, they're counting non denominationalists, they're counting like which. You can absolutely be saved as a Catholic or non-denominational or Protestant or Baptist, whatever, take your pick. But if you're looking at it objectively, the number of people that actually know the gospel in this group are going to be pretty small. So that's out of 100 million, 2%. So out of the 2%, like what, maybe 200,000 out of 100 million are saved? Like this is hugely an unreached people group, an unsaved people group. And this this should break your heart. Um do I have a picture on the next slide? Okay. So the first time I went to Vietnam, we were going, we were asking, Lord, would you have us to go? I went, it was awesome. God was answering mighty prayers. He was working. People were getting saved. It was an amazing trip and I was hard hearted and I didn't know it. And so I went and we invited people back into our home and they trashed our bathroom. Like it was disgusting. My wife and I were in there and I'm like, dude. My wife's got to sit on that toilet. Like this is just water and other stuff everywhere. And this is gross. And you'd go out and there'd be trash everywhere. And there's smog everywhere. And people everywhere we would go, people would like want to steal from us or they'd want to charge us more money because we are foreigners and supposed to be rich. And you know, they would just lie to your face. And it just, I hated the culture. The language sounded awful. Like, I just it was terrible. I hated it. But I love that God was moving. And I'm like, man, I want to be a part of this. And so I prayed about it, and God said no. And all my best friends were praying about going. And they're all like, yeah, I'm going to go to Vietnam. And I pray about it, and I got no peace. I asked the Lord for confirmation from the word, and I got the exact opposite. And I was frustrated, to say the least. I was salty about it. For a couple of months, it really took me a while to surrender and and come to the point that wherever God has you is the best place for you. So then fast forward, four months after that, it had been maybe six months from the trip, my pastor asked, hey, will you come to Vietnam with us this next year? And we were preparing to go to Pakistan and a lot of other stuff, and I'm like, dude, God already said no. He's like, well, just pray about it. So I did, and of course, the Lord was like, yeah, you need to go on another trip to Vietnam. So the second time, I said, okay. I'm going to go, but I'm just going to go as a servant. I'm going to do whatever it takes to enable Andrew and Simming and Mankit, these people that are trusting the Lord to plant a church. I'm just going to do whatever it takes to enable them to lift up their arms so that they're ready. But I had learned six months prior that my heart was not right towards the people. And so I spent the next six months praying desperately, asking the Lord to give me a soft heart, a love for the Vietnamese people, because I did not have it the first trip. My heart wasn't right. And we landed on the We landed. um, The plane was coming down. We got out of the airport and it felt like I'd come home. Uh, We saw our brothers in Christ that we had and sisters that we had won on the previous trip. Some of them were there. And, And I was praying and I got up one morning and I had our devotional. We had a the second time. We had a much nicer apartment. There was no cockroaches. We had air conditioning. It was great. So this is the picture from the balcony outside of my room. We're on like the 22nd floor or something like that. So I I didn't have a wide angle lens. This is maybe a quarter of what you could see. As far as the eye could see, all you could see are buildings. Like you cannot see the end. And this is just one little section. There's another section here. And then on the other side of the river, it looks exactly like this going the other way. So as far as I could see, there's just nothing but people. Pochumon City in and of itself is like 9 to 10 million. And I, I just started sobbing. Like, Lord, how are we going to reach these people? We could bring all of Midtown here. We wouldn't even scratch the surface. We wouldn't even make a dent. How are we going to reach Ho Chi Minh City for Christ? And God reminded me about discipleship. He turned the world upside down with 12 men. And uh, and so I just started praying, like, I'm so sorry. Uh, Lord, I, I know you said no last time, but I, I'm willing if you would have me, send me. This was the beginning of when I seriously started asking the Lord if he would have us to go to Vietnam. Because he had already told me no, and my heart wasn't right. So key point number one was that, you know, a ministry begins when someone has a burden for souls, but it doesn't end there um, because the next part of it is prayer. And so if we go to the next slide, okay. And in verse four, so Nehemiah hears, he obviously has the burden, he's asking, but then what follows is is verse four. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted, and prayed before the God of heaven. And I said, I said, beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God, that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him, and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive, and thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night. For the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. So Nehemiah knows the only way that this could be possible, the only way for God's people to be restored, the only way for the city to be rebuilt is if God intervened. And in the face of an impossible situation, instead of giving up and doing nothing, instead of being apathetic or indifferent like we are today, It drove him to desperate prayer, intercessory prayer. Psalm 127, verse 1, I think many in this room could quote it. It says, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. I think many of us know this verse. But does your closet prayer life reflect it? Not the corporate prayer, not what you say on Sunday or Tuesday or at discipleship. Not when you meet, does your closet prayer life reflect the fact that except the Lord build the house, we labor in vain? Day and night, Nehemiah was praying and fasting and weeping before the Lord. He was burdened and broken, which is why our second key point is that a persistent ministry of closet prayer and fasting is the fuel that builds the ministry. And I think many, many of us, at least in the United States, I, I can't comment on other countries but many of us in the United States are addicted to comfort. And I, as you can probably tell, am not a stranger to food. I happen to enjoy it greatly as Minish, as simming once told me you're so fat that was one of my first conversations with simming. Just so you know international students Chinese are very blunt and direct before they get saved. Nam, after I hadn't seen him in two years, when I saw him in person, said, wow, you gained weight. That was my greeting. I get the picture. I get it. Okay. But God hasn't called us to a life of comfort. I don't like fasting food. I'm like, man, I can go without entertainment. Take that away. Take the sugar away. Take the coffee away. Don't take the food away because I like food. But that's what God has called us to do. There are things that you cannot accomplish outside of fasting. Nehemiah had a ministry of prayer and fasting. And if you truly want to build a fruitful ministry, it's going to be required. Closet prayer and fasting. You know, Jesus says in Matthew 6, Matthew 6, 6, he said, or 6, 16. It's one of those. He says, moreover, when ye fast, not if you fast, when ye fast, speaking to the disciples, it is an expectation, not because fasting has some superpower, but. It's a force of us denying our flesh and counting that God is worth more than our comfort, than our satisfaction, that we need him more than we need that piece of pizza or that venti caramel brulee latte that I had this morning. That's what fasting looks like. And it's required. And so as we continue, um, we pick it up in verse seven in Nehemiah's prayer. He says, we have dealt very corruptly against thee. And have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if ye turn unto me, if ye keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out unto the uttermost part of the heaven, yet yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. You see, God God's clear about his promises. He warned the children of Israel. Man, you guys keep continuing saying this is what's gonna happen. But he's a father. And man, every every good father wants their kids to come back and to do what's right. I love it when my son, he's two years old, he's a turkey. But man, when he... When he gets right and has a soft heart, it's, it's awesome. And it doesn't matter what he has done that morning because I just, I want him to come back. I want him to get right. I want him to have a right heart. Proverbs 28, verse 13. Well, before we get there, the third key point is that ministry will not prosper with unrepentant sin. It just won't. If you look at, at verse 7 of Nehemiah chapter 1, he says, we, we have dealt very corruptly. Against thee and not kept the commandments. Nehemiah, the coolest thing that you see, or one of the coolest things you'll see in Nehemiah chapter one and chapter two, is he never goes before the Lord presumptuously. He's desperate in everything that he's doing. He's desperate and dependent on the Lord, but he's never presumptuous. And here, so he starts off with a burden and then he moves to prayer and fasting. But in that prayer and fasting, he goes to confess sin because, you know, Isaiah fifty nine tells us our iniquities, our sin, have separated us from God, so that He won't hear. And in Proverbs twenty eight thirteen, the Bible really, really clearly says it: He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have grace, or shall have mercy. Shall have mercy. That's how it goes. So it's like if you have unrepentant sin closet sin you won't prosper your ministry will not prosper but if you confess and forsake it you'll have mercy you'll get to move forward and so he is making sure that he is right before the lord not only that he's interceding on behalf of the other people like hey look i know that my brothers and sisters have been walking wayward too they need your help as well so he's he's not just praying for others excluding himself and he's not just playing praying for himself he's praying for the people as a ministry And I know this is uncomfortable, but I want to ask, is there sin that you're holding on to? Is there that secret sin that you're comfortable with? Or maybe you're in a season of victory. Are there areas in your life where you've made provision to fall back? Because it's comfortable. Because it's easy. Yeah, I've had victory for the last few months, so it's okay that I keep this, this area that if I were to stumble that it would be there to catch me and I'll just fall into sin again because I'm strong. I say that somewhat facetiously, but the reality is I've had that in my life and I know in a room this size, I'm probably not the only person, but God's clear on it. You're holding on to sin. You will not prosper. And so look at your life. Are you fruitful? I don't mean total walk of your life. I mean the last year. Are you fruitful? If not, It's worth considering why not. And I'm not saying that this is the reason, but it is certainly a possibility that it is a reason. Are you holding on to sin or are you making provision for it? Because if you are, you will not prosper in ministry. God is abundantly clear on that. So we've got a burden. We've got prayer and fasting. We've got confession of personal and corporate sin. Now we start to get to the fun stuff. Now we get to verse 10. Nehemiah has now got to the point in his prayer where he says, Now these are thy servants and thy people, whom thou hast redeemed by the great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants, who desire to fear thy name. And prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day. And grant him mercy in the sight of this man. For I was the king's cupbearer. So if, if you notice, in verse 11, it goes from the prayer of thy servant to the prayer of thy servants. And that's because our fourth key point is that the prayer life of a minister should be contagious to others in ministry. You see, he went from one man's burden, one man praying, to now there are multiple people praying to the Lord for the same thing. Matthew 12, 34, the last half of it says, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh, which is Bible lingo for what's in your heart, what you care about, you're going to talk about. So if you think about somebody that's newly engaged, pretty easy example. When someone is engaged, everybody else knows about it. Not because it's a bad thing, because they're excited. Man, they're so full of joy. And the girl's like, <laughs> Oh, this! Yeah, everybody knows about it because they're stoked. It's on their heart. You know, I used to work in children's ministry, and when when a third grader is having a sleepover, or a kindergartner was going to the pool, or a preschooler got their favorite snack, that was all you heard about for the next five minutes. And we'd go into prayer time. What are we going to pray about? That we get more goldfish. It's, it's what's on their heart and that's what comes out. And so when you have a burden, when you have something that you care about, you talk about it. So if you have a burden for the lost, you'll talk about that. When you're sharing with others, what God is doing in your life, it gets other people excited. They want God to move in their lives or they'll want to join you in what God is doing. I remember I got really broken. Um, I really broken for souls um this is probably two or three years ago something like that um i just i recognized the lack of fruit in my life and got really convicted about a lack of evangelism in my life and was just desperate to to lead someone to christ and so i sent a message to the kaya men chat kaya is our college young adult class here um so i sent a message to the chat and said hey does anybody want to pray with me once a week we'll get up We'll get up early because we're all being bums we're not getting up early and reading our bibles anyway so let's get up early once a week and we'll pray together 30 minutes no big deal anybody that wants to join and it started with one and then there was two and then three and then four and then five and then there was another group chat that started getting up early to read the bible and and we're getting together once a week and we're praying and it, it became infectious and then we started seeing people get saved and god answered prayer and then there was another guy in kaya that was much wiser than i was And he said, hey, this is not just for men. Uh, We need to open this up to everybody in Kaya. So he said, hey, rather than trying to get a bunch of college kids up at 6 a.m. to pray, how about while they're already here at prayer, we just invite them to pray some more. And so then prayer after prayer started, and we started praying for souls up in the balcony back when it was split classrooms. And there was like three, and then five, and then 50. And then we packed out the whole balcony. And then it was like every single week. And I don't know if prayer after prayer is going to pick back up after Mission Focus with the new balcony there or what's going to happen. I don't know what the schedule is. I need to ask Andy. But when you get a burden and you share it with other people, it should be contagious. It should be infectious. People love to hear that someone gets saved. They love to hear how God has answered prayer, and they want to be a part of that. And so what started as Nehemiah's burden is now multiple people praying and trusting the Lord. And that's good because what happens next is Nehemiah chapter 2, I guess before we go there, I want, I want you to just consider, are you asking other people to join with you in prayer? Are you sharing the burdens that God has on your heart? And if not, well, biblically, I would challenge the fact that it's not actually on your heart, because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Something to consider. But they needed the prayer, because now we're in Nehemiah chapter 2. And Nehemiah chapter two, verse one says, and it came to pass in the month Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him. And I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. Wherefore, the king said unto me, why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid and said unto the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad? When the city, the place of my father's sepulchers, lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire. So there's a lot, there's a lot to pick up here. Um, so starting in verse one, it's the month Nisan. Remember, we started in Chislu, which probably doesn't mean anything to you guys, but we started in December. Nisan is between March and April. So at minimum, he's waited 90 days, but this could be three to four months of prayer and fasting and mourning and getting other people excited and other people joining the ministry and other people praying. And, and I say all that because I, I want you to remember verse five. And this is one of the hardest lessons to learn for me as a young man, it was. And that's that we can't force a situation or a ministry to happen. God has perfect timing. We need to trust Him and to wait on Him, not to force what we think needs to happen in our timing. Nehemiah had not brought this up once with the king in three to four months and he still didn't bring it up. So since we have a little bit of time, we were preparing to go to Vietnam years ago. The original, the original game plan would have had us there three years ago. And as we started preparing, we were going to go as on a tourist visa because they had, you can't just go on a missionary visa, sharing the gospel is illegal. like you can kind of legally be a Christian under certain circumstances, but as a foreigner, you can't do anything. Everything we're going to do, everything we do over there is illegal. If it's spiritual, it's illegal. Unless you're sharing the glorious gospel of communism, there's just, there's no hope. So anyway, fast forward, we were going to go on a tourist visa tourist visas last for 90 days, but you can basically do unlimited renewals of them by leaving the country. So you take a five hour bus ride, they call it border running. So you take a five-hour bus ride to the border, you walk into Cambodia, here's 100 bucks, and you walk back, and they take you back to your city, and now you just re-entered the country, so you're good for another 90 days. And you could even sometimes pay a little extra and and work your way into even up to a year's stay. But you can keep doing this indefinitely. Like, we know people that have been there for 20 years doing this. So that was our game plan. We were going to go on tourist visas, not have to worry about tax stuff. I could do my job remotely. Everything was going to be gravy. That was our game plan. That's how we were going to get into the country. And then COVID happened. And Vietnam kicked out 90% of the people that were there on tourist visas. So if we had gone in our timing and not listened to the Lord and the counsel of our pastors to wait, if we had gone in our timing, we would have been kicked out. Or worse, the 10% that remained got put under martial law lockdown. So it started off with you're allowed to go out once a week to buy groceries, or to a doctor's appointment, or to a COVID test, and then they restricted that further to where it was only for groceries, and then they restricted that further to where you're never allowed to leave your apartment. And the government will bring you food, the military will bring you food to your apartment building, one person is responsible for distributing food to the whole building. You don't get you can kind of ask for what you want, but you don't really get to pick your groceries, because no one is working no one's producing food the grocery stores are empty and so you're using the government oversupply. So people are going hungry, it would have been three of us in a studio apartment under martial law lockdown for a year not being able to do anything that's what would have happened had we gone. yeah i'm sure that would have been really easy to reach people super profitable when you're legally not allowed to even open your door to your apartment to leave. That's what happens when we go in our timing. So you have to wait on the Lord. God really protected us that. Psalm 27, 14 says, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. I'm really impatient. This has been a hard one for me to learn. Really tough, but good. And it's not just there because the other thing that I want you to see is that he didn't force anything right? This has been three to four months of prayer, and it had taken over his heart so much that the king noticed. And this was super risky for Nehemiah. They could have, at the minimum, he would have lost his job if the king was unhappy, but he could have been killed for this. When the king is sad, you mourn with him. But when the king is happy, you don't go in all mopey-dopey, all sorrow of heart before the king. As the king's cupbearer, as the king's servant, your responsibility is to please the king. It's a great spiritual picture. You do not go before the king sad. This is why he was sore afraid. This could have been a death sentence, but he had gained the king's heart. This is a lost Persian dude, but God used him. And so the second thing that I want you to see is a prayed up and a prepared minister can respond boldly when the opportunities are presented. And so if you struggle with boldness, maybe you're afraid, I would challenge that the reason that you struggle to be bold is because you haven't been praying and preparing for it. Just imagine the scenario that for three or four months, you've been praying for this lost coworker, or classmate or neighbor or whatever, family friend. You've been praying for someone for three to four months. And then after three to four months, they come to you and they're like, Why are you so happy all the time what is that book you've been reading on lunchtime why is it that even though you just lost a child you're okay whatever the question is they come to you and god clearly shows you it's an open door you don't have to think about whether or not you're going to be bold it's like man i've been praying for this for months you can move forward so if you're not bold i would challenge i'm get it everybody has off days but like If you're not able to boldly walk through open doors, I would challenge that it's because you haven't been desperate in prayer. You haven't been asking the Lord for them. For months, he's been waiting on an open door. He just didn't know what it looked like, and he didn't force it. So when God finally gave it to them, he was able to move forward. And it brings us to our final verse that we're going to look at, which is verse 4. So he said in verse 3, you know, how could I not be sad when this is the condition of the city? And this is the condition of God's people. And verse four is like the coolest. Man, that's, that's what you want to hear. Then the king said unto me, for what dost thou make request? Not off with his head. Not tough cookies. All right, what do you want? Here's a blank check. What do you want? This is the king of the biggest empire in the world. Asking you, well, what are you asking me for? He's giving you permission to ask for whatever you want. And so, Nehemiah, as has been his tradition, is that he prayed to the God of heaven. Now, I seriously doubt, as you consider this, if Nehemiah is standing before the king and the king is like, what do you want? I seriously doubt Nehemiah is like, dear Lord, I just want to no, know. Okay. This is probably one of those God, I need you, please help, blah kind of prayers, right? I think we've all had those like, quick, please help me. But you don't just pause a conversation for a five minute intercessory prayer. Like he knew what he was asking for at this point. And so that's where we get key point verse, key point seven, the final one. And that is that maintaining constant communication with God is key to making wise decisions. You see, Nehemiah, like we've covered, has been praying about this for months. He knew what he was going to ask for. Like if you've been dreaming about something and praying about something and longing for something and planning something for months, you don't have to think about what you want. And yet, Nehemiah was not hasty. Even though he knew what he would ask for, he still prayed. Because God could have shown him, God could have brought a verse up and said, hey, don't forget about this. And so he wasn't hasty. He knew he needed the Lord in everything that he was doing. First Thessalonians, Paul tells the church at Thessalonica to pray without ceasing in chapter 5, verse 17. And so this doesn't look like just never speaking to someone else, but I mean at every opportunity we should be praying. And Nehemiah embodies this. And that's why he had a fruitful ministry. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9 says, A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directed his steps. Nehemiah had a plan, and we're going to see as we continue in chapter two and we keep going on. What that plan was and how how God used it mightily. But he was never hasty. If you wanna know how to start a ministry, it starts with boldness. If you wanna to go to the last one, it starts with a burden. Sorry, not boldness. It starts with a burden for the lost. And that burden should move you forward into prayer and to fasting. And then, wow, it kinda of looks janky like that. Well, anyway, as you are praying and fasting, Hopefully, you're also inviting and sharing that with others so that they are joining with you. Because then as you share that with others, you get the opportunity to wait on the Lord rather than to force it. There. Are, okay, so my job, I'm responsible for fixing things. That's all I do all day long. I'm presented with a, a list of problems at the beginning of my day, more problems come in throughout the day, and all I do is fix stuff. That's it. So it's very, I have to be really intentional in ministry to not just do stuff, to not just try and do stuff. Stuff simple like AV, the PowerPoint, like this is what I do for a living. But I have to stay away from it until I've had time to just stop and pray and ask the Lord for help. Because the danger is that we rely on ourselves. And Nehemiah embodies that we rely on the Lord in every step. So after you've waited on the Lord, then you can be bold when he does open the door. But even when he does, we have to stay in constant communication. We got to keep praying as we move forward through it. If you do all of these things, you can have a fruitful ministry. Now, I know that this was not specific to international students. I get it. That's what days two and three or four. But biblically, this is what it looks like to start a ministry, to start a new work. He had one of the most powerful ministries, I would, I would say, of anybody in the Bible. Not V. But I mean, just look at pictures of Jerusalem. I mean, they rebuilt the walls in less than two months. And he was partially responsible. He was one of three men that was responsible for a nation returning to the Lord. I just want to lead like one or two people to Christ per year disciple one faithful man a year if I can do that for the rest of my life that would be awesome I don't need to lead a nation because multiplication is a thing and if we can just invest in faithful men I know that they will continue to do the same if they're envisioned and equipped to do so and challenged with it in the word so that's it I tried to cut a little bit so that we could leave time each day for Q&A so we have about five minutes roughly before noon which is when lunch is supposed to happen so if anybody has any questions about what we covered or anything in the ministry feel free to ask and then if not then i guess we get a jump start on filling the holes in our bellies we hope this message was a blessing to you if you're interested in learning more about the living faith fellowship visit lffellowship.com
2: god bless